pray. Father, we just come to you tonight. We thank you for uh, your word and for your spirit. And Father, I just pray we'd be filled with your spirit. And uh, Lord, that you would be the teacher. Just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're on chapter 18, so that means we've got to go to chapter 17. <clears throat> we're going to go pick up at the end of uh, 17, at, uh, starting at verses 20 through 26. And on your handouts, uh, most of the questions, uh, the answers are taken, they're directly in the scripture that references them. So um, most of them, there's a couple of them are trick questions, but most of them are just straight out read the verse, pick the answer right out of the verse, and plug it into the blank. <clears throat> so Jesus, uh, uh, in 17, the whole, practically the whole chapter is a prayer, but uh, the part that's really cool about it is starting in verse 20, uh, Jesus says, uh, my prayer is not for them alone, I pray also uh, for those who will believe in me through their message. So he, in the immediate context, he's teaching to us. He's praying for his disciples, but now he's saying he's praying for those that will believe their message. So um, I guess who is Jesus praying for? Yeah, for anybody that's going to believe in the future, and that would include us. So uh, Jesus is praying for those who will believe in him. So it's kind of nice. It sort of personalizes it now. It's not just like we're reading, you know, we're standing on the outside looking in. We're seeing that uh, Jesus is thinking about us out into the future, and his prayer is actually for us also. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, and he says, uh, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, uh, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So and um, so the question for 1721 is, what is Jesus praying for? And uh, the first thing he says that all of them may be one. So he's talking to us as a group collectively then that, that we would be all one here, okay? We would all be one. And so he says, and then the second thing that he says, just as you are in me and I'm in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And so the second one of that is, is that, that uh, may they also be in us, right? So in other words, that we would, now we're talking about we'd be together and now would all of us be in Jesus or uh, in God the Father, and I, we've talked about this, I think, on in other Bible studies that I've been at. This whole idea of being in Jesus. And uh, the, the easiest way for me to kind of think about it is the biosphere. You know, they have these big domes that they go out into Arizona and they build this big dome. And it's a, uh, it's a completely self-contained environment. They have plants and, you know, they have the whole water cycle where water's going up and going to clouds and coming back down again. And so when you get in this biosphere, you're in this biosphere. Everything that you need is right there for you to do whatever it is you need to do. And so it's kind of the same idea that when you are in Jesus, okay, you've got this, you're kind of wrapped in this whole, I don't know, God thing. I don't know if there's any way to imagine that. But uh, 
So he's, he's praying for that, and he says, but in 1721, we get to the why, the, the last part of it, he, he says here, <clears throat> the why is so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And so the way that we uh, treat each other and the way we relate to Jesus and God the Father is going to be our reflection out to the world. And so when people see the way we are with each other, and then they're going to basically see God. And, uh, and that's kind of the place uh, where, where we want to be, and that's where Jesus is going with this. <clears throat> so in 22, <clears throat> he says, I have given them the glory that, that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know, we're going back, he's kind of repeating the same stuff. He says, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me even as, excuse me. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And 24, he says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and see my glory, the glory that you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, uh, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. And then 26, he says, I have, I have made it known to them and will continue to make it known uh, in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. And so... Um, and just to go back at 26, I, what I got underlined in that verse is that he says, I have made you known to them. And then the second part is, and will continue uh, to make you known. And if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about uh, the Holy Spirit and then the inner workings of the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus and then Jesus reveals the Father. And so he's kind of going back to that now. I mean, he's not saying that directly. But, you know, he says he will continue uh, to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, that I myself may be in them. So, in number four, uh, I, Jesus will, and then the word is continue, to make God the Father known to us. So this is something that we got ongoing, and I think that, you know, we get it, you know, kind of wrapped up in, you know, whatever we see on the news today, or it's easy to get, you know, removed from God and be kind of just overcome by just craziness of the news or the craziness of work or whatever. So I think we just need to come back to that, always come back to the cross and always remember that Jesus is... Um, constantly revealing himself to us. So at John 18, verse 1, it says, And when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he as his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. And so, you know, it was the Passover time. Remember the last time we talked, you know, they... They had been at the Last Supper, and then we had this little talk there on the road, and now they're actually uh, in this garden, and Judas knew that they would be there. If you remember, Passover time is uh, 
Jews from all over the world would show up at Jerusalem. And so uh, there was just, there was no hotel rooms. I mean, everything's packed during that time period. And, and Jesus and his disciples would frequently go to this Garden of Gethsemane and they'd just kind of camp out there. And so it was uh, just a place that they commonly went to. And so Judas, he knew that during the Passover, when they get done with the, when they got done with the Passover dinner, that that'd be the place they'd go basically to camp out and, you know, and get some rest. So, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, so Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Uh, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, right? Jesus is God. He, he knew exactly what was going to happen. He went out and asked him, uh, who is it? Do you want the Jesus of Nazareth? They replied, "I am He." Uh, Jesus said, and and Judas the traitor was uh, standing there with them. When Jesus said this, "I am He," uh, they drew back and fell to the ground. So this is kind of interesting because when you, uh, if you look in the original language, the "I am He," the "He" is not there. That's something that the translators uh, put in. He's actually saying, uh, I am. And so in the Jewish world, this is a pretty heavy duty. If you go back to, um, I, I think I reference Exodus in there, and I'll just read it to you. You don't have to go there. It just says, uh, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. And so this is, so <laughs> I am is God, all right? This is the name of God. And so Jesus basically says, uh, you know, you know, I am. And so what happens now is uh, some, when I, when you look in the different, different really smart guys, right? These commentaries and stuff. And, and they, they, uh, they don't know how to deal with the, where it says, uh, Jesus said, I am he. And they drew back and fell to the ground. Um, uh, I think that at this point, it's pretty clear to me anyway, that what's happened is, is Jesus said, you know, I am, and the power of God came over these guys, and they were literally blown away. So Jesus was immediately establishing, hey, you're not in control here. I'm in control, all right? So these guys get blown away. And... Uh, in other cases, Jesus has actually uh, uh, basically owned up to this. And earlier in John chapter 8, uh, verses 58 and 59, he said, Verily, Very truly, I tell you, uh, Jesus answered, Before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. So Jesus 
you know, there was a bunch of uh, Pharisees and stuff there. And so when he said, before Abraham was, I am, they knew exactly what he's saying. He's saying, I am God, okay? And so, so it, it totally makes sense in the context of what's going on here in the garden. They ask who he is, and he says, I am. They're literally blown away. So in, in, verse, in question five, the, the answer is uh, Jesus is God. Yeah. So only God could do that. In verse seven, he says, again, he asked them, who is it you want? And Jesus of Nazareth, they said. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. There is, and here again, it's I am. He doesn't reply with I am he. Actually, he just says, I told you, I am. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. Uh, and then John puts a little commentary in there. He says, this happened that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. And so I want to go back to, and earlier in John 6, there's, John is constantly referring back to, he, he keeps kind of retelling his story as he goes through, you know, his gospel. And so he says here in 9, this happened that the words he had spoken would be filled. I have not lost one of those uh, you gave me. So then if you go to John 6, and I just reference uh, John six thirty-five through 40, and I'll read it to you, and I know you guys are all going to want to go home and really study this out so you can use those references. It says, uh, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. That's kind of comforting, right? I think it's kind of like saying, you know, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, right? And verse 39, he says, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of, none of all those he has given me, but raise them up in the last day. So John's remembering this passage or this little exchange that Jesus is having with his disciples. He says, for my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up in the last day. So if you believe in Jesus, you believe that he paid the penalty for you on the cross. If uh, you believe that he did that personally for you and then you have eternal life. In verse 10, it says, then Simon Peter, who who had the sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So um, <clears throat> it's kind of interesting. We want to take note of that, that, that John, for whatever reason, I think we'll see it a little bit later, he says, you know, hey, the, and, <laughs> Peter comes up and tries to whack off this guy's ear, and the guy's name is this, right, Malchus. And so... But Jesus comes back, and Jesus commanded Peter, he says, Put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Okay? So, and 
6 on my paper, it says, God had a plan and purpose for Jesus. Okay? So Peter's got this idea going on in his head that, that you know what, he's going to protect Jesus. Jesus, though, he knows everything. He knows that he's coming there to fulfill something that God, the Father, had sent him to do. So there's a plan and a purpose for him to be in there. Peter, though, good intentioned, right? Jesus kind of waves him off. So God's got a plan and purpose for Jesus. So it seems like uh, so many times when, uh, when I'm teaching, I end up on these verses here uh, in Ephesians uh, 2, uh, 8 through 10. But... Um, uh, there's there's patterns, I talk about this all the time, there's patterns that keep repeating themselves over and over and over in the Bible. And so we're, we kind of see this here where Jesus comes. He comes down and he's got probably the most important uh, plan <clears throat> and purpose, which is to, you know, make a way for us to get to heaven. So Ephesians uh, chapter 2, starting at verse 8, Everybody's probably got this memorized by now, but it says, uh, for by grace you've been saved through faith. Okay. Has everybody heard the for? Everybody knows what for means? I kind of go through this from time to time. It's, uh, the word nerd. The word for. And whenever I explain the word for, it's kind of interesting because when I explain this word for, uh, as a matter of fact, I explained it, at Sunday school class uh, this Sunday, uh, I always talk about my daughter coming from Santa Barbara, and she's actually here tonight, so it's kind of neat. And I'll say, you know, my daughter from Santa Barbara comes down, so she calls me up, and she says, hey, Dad, let's go to the restaurant for breakfast. And so that, that word for is mixed up into that sentence, right? And so, but what does that word for actually mean? And it's a little word that actually takes a whole bunch of stuff and just kind of <laughs> packs it into one word, right? And, and the idea is that she says, hey, Dad, let's go to the restaurant. And the reason that we're going to the restaurant is to eat breakfast. So it's an explanation of why we're going to the restaurant, okay? So, but, uh, you know, when we arrange our sentences, we put four at the end of the sentence. And, uh, but in the Greek language... When they arrange their sentence, they put it at the beginning of the sentence. And so, as Christian and I were talking about this weekend uh, on Sunday, the word for here actually means, let me explain. So when you see that at the beginning of a sentence, it's very nice. And uh, I, I tell the people this all the time because it changed the way I read the Bible. Because for is at the, lo- at the beginning of a lot of sentences. And Paul strings these big long things together and uh, if you understand that four means that and then it makes those things a lot easier to read so uh, so if I was to read this it says let me explain okay that's what Paul's really saying hey let me explain it's by grace you've been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves it is the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast let me explain We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Okay? 
So 8 and 9, I think we've heard that many, many, many times. But 10, where it says, let me explain, we are God's handiwork. And handiwork's only translated uh, twice, I think, in the Bible, this word, same word. But it's uh, in the... Uh, it's always outside of the church. It, it was used a lot when Paul was writing. It was always designed to... It was used to... Uh, basically reference beautiful works of art, like things like you've never seen, things just so beautiful that uh, just you're awestruck when you see them. And uh, when I found this out about this word, and it it says, let me explain, we're God's masterpiece and other things. It's like, this is how God looks at you. He looks at you like, wow, you are awesome. You know what I'm saying? doesn't matter what you think now. I'm not talking about you. I'm saying this is how God looks at you. Like you're this just awesome masterpiece of art. Okay? I mean, it, just, it doesn't get any better than that. But we're not really at this verse to talk about that. But just saying. It's really nice to know that God looks at us like that. But he says we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Okay, so here we go back to the garden. You got Jesus standing there, and Peter's going to interject into the whole thing, try to whack this guy's ears off. Actually, he did whack it off. Uh, In the other Gospels, they talk about Jesus kind of putting it back on. But uh, so God had this plan and purpose for Jesus. And it's saying right here kind of the exact same thing, right? He's got a plan and purpose for us. And he actually, I'm going to cheat. We're going to skip ahead in John a little bit because there's another example of the same thing. Like I say, there's this reoccurring, uh, reoccurring patterns. I don't know how even how to describe it, but it's kind of the same thing. But uh, knowing that God's got a plan and purpose for our life, right? This is uh, later on. We're towards the end of the gospel, and so. There, uh, this is after Jesus had, you know, been crucified and he's resurrected. He's hanging out with the disciples. And he says to Peter, he says, and this is John twenty-one eighteen through 22, he says, Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and what were you wanted. But, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death which Peter would glorify God. Then he said, follow me. So he's basically telling Peter, hey, it's not going to end good for you. Um, It's not going to end good. So in 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following him. So John refers to him as this mystery disciple uh, throughout this uh, letter. But he says, Peter turned and saw uh, the disciple was really John whom Jesus loved, was following them. This is, and then he, then he kind of, in, in case you're looking at that picture of the Last Supper, he's saying here, this is the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, uh, uh, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Okay, and Jesus answered, if I wanted him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. So what Jesus is really saying, I'm going to break it down. Like uh, I've talked to my kids about this verse before. 
you know, because we tend to want to look at somebody else over there, what's going on in their life. Hey, hey, how come that? It's like that. And, you know, Jesus is being pretty brutal right here with Peter. He's basically saying, hey, don't worry about that guy over there. What I got for him, I got for him. What I got for you, I got for you. So it's the um, seven. God has a plan and purpose I got for me. Okay? Not you. Me. (laughs) So you can put me in there if you want. Meaning you, not me. (laughs) Confused? I am. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the whole thing. I I don't think people think about that uh, at, at all, really. That you know what? God sees you as a masterpiece, and he's got something for you to do. I don't know what it is. I got a pretty good idea what he wants me to do, but I don't know what he has for you. But it's clear he's got something for everybody. So uh, go for it. So in verse 12, it says, Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and Jewish, Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Um, so let's get this Annas and Caiaphas thing squared away. Uh, Annas was uh, kind of like the the high priest when the, when the Romans rolled into town, and he wasn't getting with the program. And so they said, nah, you're not it anymore. You're not politically correct. We need to get a guy that's on our team in here. That was typical for the Romans, you know, when they come in, take over a place or any real conquering army. They don't in generally come in and replace everybody. They try to get come in and they try to bring in the local population and get them to work with them. And so, you know, Rome was like a, uh, like a master collecting taxes and all that sort of stuff. So they kind of wanted to move in. But Annas was kind of a hardliner. And they said, no, Annas, uh, it's not working out. We need to get us another high priest. So this guy Caiaphas is his son-in-law. He's kind of like the high priest that works with the Romans. But behind the scenes, Annas is still the man, all the people. It's like he had kind of like still had all the power. So they brought when they brought Jesus and they brought him to him first. So when he got done, he says, well, we got to make this look good. So go ahead and see my son-in-law now. So anyway, Caiaphas was the one who advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. So just as a reminder about how that went down, in John 11, uh, 45 through 53, I'll just read it to you. It says, therefore, many of the Jews had... Uh, had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus had did. Okay, Jesus had just uh, did some miracles on Lazarus. So anyway, let me start again. Therefore, many of the Jews that had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus had did and believed in him. Uh, and, and, uh, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priest and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. That's all the mucky mucks, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, all these uh, high-ranking Jewish officials. And and so they ask, what are are we accomplishing, they ask. Here is a man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple 
and our nation. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up. You know, you know nothing at all. Uh, you do not realize that it's better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for the nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day, they plotted to take his life. So whether Caiaphas was really, what they're basically saying here is, Caiaphas was part of the plan, okay? He was part of the plan, and so that's where Jesus ends up. They take him to see Caiaphas. So uh, in the NIV that I was looking at, there's a little, you know, they have little paragraph titles, and the paragraph title here is uh, Peter's uh, first denial. So in verse uh, 15, Simon Peter and the other disciple were following Jesus because this disciple was known to the high priest he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. So I guess John was, uh, I don't know, maybe his family was kind of like, maybe they had a big fishing business or something. And so he was kind of like on the ends with the power people. So um, uh, so he went right in with Jesus to the priest's courtyard. But, but Peter, so Peter, I think it was probably, he might have been a fisherman that might even work for John or something. He says, but Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back and spoke to the servant girl on duty there and brought Peter in. 17. says, aren't you one of this man's disciples too, are you? Uh, she asked Peter. He replied, I'm not. It was cold and the servants and officials stood around the fire uh, they had made to keep warm. Peter was also standing with them, warming himself. So we go back, and meanwhile, the high priest, this is Annas, questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. So Jesus is standing tall in front of this uh, Annas guy, and he says, I've spoken uh, openly to the world, Jesus replied. Uh, I've always taught in the synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? Uh, if I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? <laughs> then Anna sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So... Went from one high priest to another high priest. So now there, it says, Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, Aren't you one of his disciples? Uh, aren't you one of his disciples too? Are you? He denied it, saying, I'm not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative, the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. So remember, what was his name? Malchus? Okay, so John said, okay, a relative of that guy there is here, right? And so what is he doing? Now we got, we kind of got like a, you know, an eyewitness kind of an account. And this person's challenging him. He says, didn't I see you with him in the garden? 
And, it, and again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, the rooster began to crow. And uh, I don't know if you guys saw that movie, The Passion of the Christ. But in The Passion of the Christ, I remember this scene clearly that Peter denies. And, uh, and uh, the third time he denies, the rooster starts crowing. And uh, he looks up. And Jesus is looking out, and their eyes meet. And uh, Peter's like, oh. And the scripture says that uh, he left weeping. So Peter is, if you remember from the little, Peter's been carrying this the whole time until Jesus kind of teaches him about grace. Um, Yeah, so... When the Jewish leaders, I'm at 28 now, when the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the place of the Roman governor, by now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not want to enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So, you know, the Jews had this thing about not messing around with uh, Gentiles. Couldn't touch them. They had to go through a bunch of stuff, so they just hung out on the outside. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? Uh, and so if he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. Uh, this took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. And so there was, a, you know, there's a lot of prophecies about you know, uh, you know, his legs aren't going to be broken. Um, uh, what else? His legs aren't going to be broken. Uh, cast lots for his clothes, yeah. So basically he's alluding to that. I was thinking, do I want to go into that? Nah. Take too much time. So 33, Pilate went back inside the, the palace and summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you've done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify uh, to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. What is truth, retorted Pilate? Hey, what is truth, huh? That's a heavy-duty question there. That is heavy, heavy heavy-duty. And so... I looked up truth, and there was like gazillions of verses on truth. I mean, they're just over the top. So I thought, well, you know what? We'll stick with the book of John. Just get some ones out of the book of John. I mean, there was like 20, 30 of them in the book of John anyway. And so John 14, 16, right? Remember, Pilate's asking, you know, what is truth? And so in John 14, 16, it says, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So eight, Jesus is the truth. 
it's kind of interesting, you know, um, if, uh, on any given Sunday, there's going to be people in church that, you know, they're not believers. I, I know it's just, that's the way it is. And there, I think there are two, I, I know for a fact, because I fall into this category where I went to church for years. I mean, I was much as possible there every Sunday, and, you know, sitting in church. And, uh, and I stop and think about why did I do that or why did these other people do that? But if you stop and think about it, if you go to a church where they're teaching the Bible, it's one of the few places that you can go and listen to somebody tell nothing but the truth for about 45 minutes, right? And it's like, ah, because in, in the workplace, people are lying to you all the time. I mean, it's just, it's just the way it is. I mean, I don't need, mean to be cynical, but I mean, you know, you might develop some friendships or relationships there, but in terms of the truth, like what they're talking about here, you know, there's like a, what do they call it? Indisputable truth is the kind of truth they're talking about here. You know, then there's the truth that, you know, if you ask somebody, you know, who's the best football team, they're going to tell you the truth in their opinion. It may, it may or not be right, you know. You know, if they chose the Raiders, and then obviously <laughs> they would be right. But uh, <laughs> I didn't mean to say that. I'm in Charger land here. But, uh, yeah, but you get the idea. The kind of truth that Pilate, you know, if you look it up in the little Greek, the type of truth that Pilate's asking about, he's not talking about relative truth. He's talking about absolute truth. So so we're looking at what does the Bible say? And Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus is the truth. In 1526 in John, um, we actually talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It says when the advocate, remember the advocate or the comforter or the helper or the paraclete, Remember, they couldn't decide how they could describe the Holy Spirit. He says, when he comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, will testify about me. Okay, so the Spirit of truth uh, goes out from the Father. So this idea of, remember we talked about the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit is, you know, Jesus says he's going to be in us, right? He's going to be, he's in us. So this Holy Spirit. So we have the truth walking with us. The Spirit of God inside us is walking with us all the time. But just as I could walk down the street and totally ignore the person right next to me, you can do that with the Holy Spirit or you can, you know, be obedient and listen. So then in John seventeen seventeen, this is right out of last week, it says, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So Jesus said God's word is truth. So in 11, I was thinking about what does all this mean? In 11, uh, truth comes from God, right? I mean, that's the only absolute truth that's out there. Uh, The opposite of truth is lies. Yeah, right? Yeah. So, you know, we're like, we've got this whole thing going. We've got, you know, good and evil going on here. We have uh, truth and lies, and the father of lies is you know, Satan, the, the devil, whatever you want to plug in, or they, any, either one of those would be accurate. So, yeah, it's kind of scary because if you look at uh, if you look in Galatians where it talks about the manifestations of the flesh, and it just listed all the you know the things that's in what is it chapter five? 
chapter 5, Eric? I think something like that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It has uh, all the manifestations of the flesh. And it really lists through a litany of things. Just everything, almost everything that you can think that you would ever do bad is in that list. I mean, it's in there. And if it's not in there, it ends up, the list ends up, or things like this. So you can add your thing into the list if you want. So all these things of the flesh are there. But the one thing that's not there is lying, okay? Because lying comes and deception is in the realm of evil. It's in the realm of the devil. And so um, it's, uh, lying is not a good thing. Uh, uh, it's the thing that's about lying because you, occasionally you meet people that are, I hate to say that are evil, but they lie all the time, and then at some point they actually begin to believe their lies, and now you're, you're in a very, very bad place. You're in a, where you've actually, where the devil's business is deception, and now you've, you've actually deceived yourself. And so I guess the thing of it is, is you want to walk with the truth, right? You don't want to close your ear off to the Holy Spirit. You want to be there with God. So, so Pilate's question, what is truth? And uh, from my perspective, as I read it, and knowing where he is at and, and time and everything, um, I, I went to John fourteen, sixteen and 17. It says, he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate or helper or comforter or paraclete to help you to be with you forever. And it says here, the spirit of truth. And then what, what he does in the... 17 he says the world cannot accept him because it neither neither sees him or knows him but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you okay so in terms of Pilate, where he was spiritually at that point in time there's no way for him to ever know the truth you see what i'm saying it's literally impossible because the only absolute truth is going to come from God, okay? The Spirit of God, remember? Remember he said Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, we talked about this. He says, but you know him, for he lives with you. He's talking about now, and will be in you. So remember we talked about this? Jesus talking to his disciples. You believe in Jesus, you're his disciple. Holy Spirit is in you, Right? That wasn't an option for Pilate at this point when Jesus is having a conversation. So he finishes up and he says, and this, and with this he went out again and the Jews gathered and said, uh, I find no basis to charge him. So this is Pilate saying, this guy didn't do anything wrong. But is your custom to, uh, for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover? Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? And they shouted, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. So this this kind of just leads into uh, uh, chapter 19. So um, I, I try to, like, after I read, I try to think about, you know, what is it? You know, something I can kind of put up into my brain and be able to like roll it around a little bit and and just think about you know maybe from the big picture and 
And I think probably for me, believe it or not, we talked about 18, but the thing that has the biggest impact on me is that, I, that at the end of 17, where Jesus has been praying for his disciples and now he shifts it over and says that he's going to be praying for me, all right? Or you can say the same thing, that Jesus is praying for me at this point. The more that you can make this personal to where, because it is, um, I think the easier it is to comprehend, like, wow, just how awesome God really is. And then you can realize what he actually did for you on the cross. And so then that that verse 10 in Ephesians chapter 2, you know, that we're his masterpiece, you know, and he's created some stuff in advance for us to do, that takes on a whole new meaning at that point. And it's not like, oh, I got to do this. No, it's like, oh, I want to do this, right? Because God loved me so much. You're in this relationship. So in John 17, I mean, years ago, I remember I was reading through that. I was kind of journaling off of that chapter, and it just kind of hit me like, whoa, it's pretty amazing. Jesus is thinking about me like back then. So that's huge. Um, What else did we talk about tonight? Jesus is God. I mean, he said, I am. They were literally blown away. Jesus had, a, God had a plan and purpose for Jesus and, and uh, God has a plan and purpose for me and for you. So that's all I got for tonight. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. And Lord, we just thank you that uh, you do have a plan for us. And uh, Lord, you were praying for us before we even were a twinkle in our dad's eye. Even. And so we just thank you for that. And we thank you that... Uh, that uh, you love us so much that you would put all this down in a book that's uh, sound and true, that we could come back and read it and uh, develop a relationship with you. Father, just pray that the stuff would uh, stick with us and have an impact on our lives. And, uh, Lord, that, uh, that uh, we would be uh, unified as one body and that uh, people on the outside would look in and say, wow, I want to be a part of that. Just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.